Welcome to the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. I'm Troy Cooper, and today I'm interviewing Steve Addison about his forthcoming book, Pioneering Movements, Leaders Who Multiply Disciples and Churches Everywhere. Steve, we're really excited about this new book that's coming out, Pioneering Movements, talking about leaders who multiply disciples and churches everywhere. We, we think this is a really important book for the movement in this season, and we just love the chance to ask you some questions. Um, sure. So, so, Steve, could you help us understand what is a movement pioneer? When we look at uh, movement pioneers, it's especially of movements that multiply disciples and churches. So uh, really they're fulfilling that, that same role that the Apostle Paul and other pioneers had in the New Testament. They go into unreached uh, fields. They uh, connect with people, proclaim the gospel. They make disciples and then form new disciples into reproducing churches. And um, that's what movement pioneers have always done, and it's what what they do today. Who did you write this book for? Are you writing it for the movement pioneers or for churches? Who are you targeting with this book? Okay, well, for every movement pioneer, if you imagine Paul, for instance, um, Mm -hmm. in the New Testament there's about 100 names of people associated with Paul. some of them are local leaders. Some of those are part of his mobile missionary band, his apostolic band. Some of them appear very often, you know, like a Timothy or a Silas. So every individual, you know, person with that apostolic gift, um, there's lots of people in local churches or in um, mobile bands that are participating in in that ministry. It's really the whole of God's people are engaged because um, God's people, the church, is a missionary movement. It's just some of those will be set aside and called either lifelong or for specific periods of time to to be involved on the front line in an unreached community. Mm. Um, And so Paul's doing both. You know, he's got this partnership with local churches and he's building local leaders there and they're reaching their area in depth and then he's grabbing people like Timothy or Luke or Silas or Epaphras and or Aquila and Priscilla and saying okay let's go on to a new city and and pioneer something for a specific period of time often you know it could be a few weeks or no more than a few years so that's a roundabout way of saying I've written this book for everybody, yeah. um, but through the lens of uh, what does a movement pioneer do and what does a pioneering movement do? You know, what does it look like for the people of God uh, to multiply disciples in reproducing churches? Hmm. So I heard you mention the church in there. Um, what are you learning about churches that are fueling movements and their role. Okay. Well, once I would have said, um, you know, they've just got to release the Pauls and Barnabases and let them get on with their job. Um, You know, what I've been learning is there are a lot of Jerusalem churches and Antioch churches and Ephesus churches out there. And they're churches that um, 
are not only been started um, often through movement pioneers for catalytic church planters and their teams, but they're putting their hand up like the Philippians and, and saying, you know, we want to partner now as we release those pioneers to go on to new and fresh fields. We want to partner with them uh, by releasing finance, by releasing people, by praying for them. So in that sense, even though we're here, we're going to the ends of the earth. But they're also saying we want to fulfill the Great Commission in our own backyard. Um, and they're actually doing evangelism and church multiplication in their own, ba- in their own city. Um, and these churches are popping up across the U.S. and, and in other parts of the Western world um, where, you know, uh, they're, they're sort of taking the Great Commission seriously. And um, so, sure, we've got local settled churches reaching their area in depth, but they're not choosing between their backyard and the rest of the world. They're, they're partnering with those movement pioneers and, um, and, and they're going to the ends of the earth as well. You know, one great example of that would be um, West Palm Beach. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the information soon enough to include it in the book, but uh, it's an incredible case study of a mega church. There's not only training and equipping every believer to share the gospel, make disciples, baptize new believers, form groups, all of that, but they're sending out pioneer um, planting teams, zero budget, um, you know, not huge groups, uh, just to do pioneer evangelism and church planting in their own backyard. Wow. So. We're seeing a wonderful partnership between the sort of missionary band and the local church uh, in, a, in a number of key, you know, I call them Great Commission churches. Well, that's exciting. So, Steve, why, you know, you've written a number of books on, on movements. Why another book right now? Well, um, I, I, I woke up to movements about a quarter of a century ago. And uh, unfortunately, that's all I see. <laughs> you know, Je- Jesus uh, pioneered the first global missionary movement that the, the world has ever seen. That's what he came to do. Now, you know, only he, um, as, as, as uh, our crucified and risen Lord, can be at the center of it. Um, and his, his, but his great work on the cross is, is wrapped around by at the same time He's pioneering and developing the men and women who will go to the ends of the earth. Mm. Um, and we're, you know, we're following Jesus now because of those people. Mm. So I don't see anything else than, you know, what Christ has done for us and um, the call of the Great Commission, which can only be fulfilled by multiplying movements of disciples and churches. And so this is what Jesus did. It's what he trained the 12 to do. And then as the risen Lord, this is what Jesus continues to do in the book of Acts, you know, through the early church and through Paul and countless other unnamed men and women who, um, who not only, you know, gossip the gospel, but they go to unreached cities and places and countries and, um, and pioneer, make disciples, plant churches, 
that that start reproducing. So, you know, what else is there than uh, to to do this great work? Mm. So that's why I, I, you know, my next book, my this is my third book. My fourth book will be on movements. Lord willing, uh, any other book after that will be on movements. Um, but why specifically this this topic? Because I've I've sort of zeroed in on movement leadership. Mm. You know, the first book was a general introduction, characteristics of movements. Second book laid the biblical foundation. So, what do movements do? You know, the nitty gritty stuff. And this book looks at movement leadership. And you know, I, I was—I'd uh, been on a mission trip into China um, about a maybe a decade ago, and um, I came out and met with two men called Smith, Steve Smith and Bill Smith. Um, strangely, they're not related. And um, strange. I, I hadn't written the book by then, the first book, uh, but I just sat down with them, and they've—they already then had so many years' experience seeing multiplying movements in in Asia and elsewhere. And I said, "Look, I've got this book I'm working on, and here's the five characteristics of dynamic movements. Um, you know, white hot faith, commitment to a cause, rapid mobilization." Um, contagious relationships and adaptive methods. So I just went over that with them and they just said, yep, that's what we see. <laughs> and I felt relieved actually that these two guys so close to the action were, were backing up what, what I discovered just through my mm. sort of learning. And then I said, but, you know, I've just come out of China and I think there's a fifth key component um, I was aware of, but, I, you know, I, I think I, it, it's really, you know, it's not a fifth but a sixth key component in addition to the five. And they said, well, what would that be? And I said, uh, movement pioneers, apostolic leaders. Mm. And they said, well, we've never seen a movement without an apostolic leader. You know, it's like, of course. <laughs> now, it's too late to change the book at that point. So I, I just made a mental note, you know, Lord, one day I want to write the book about that sixth key component. Uh, so that's that's why I wrote this book. Could, could you explain what you mean by apostolic leadership? Sure. Well, you know, we and, and we can get all blown away. We, you know, what, one thing I'm going to say up front, nobody today is writing scripture. Um, you know, anybody with an apostolic call, they're not, they're not charismatic bishops lording it over the rest of the church. Um, it's the pioneer gift. I mean, to be an apostle is to be a sent one with Jesus' authority. And, um, you know, we, we weren't quite comfortable with that word, so we created a new word called missionary. Um, you know, that popped up around the 16th century. Well, missionary is just the Latin form of the Greek word that we get apostle from. Mm. So, you know, missionaries are apostles and apostles are missionaries, but it's not just anyone with a cross-cultural gift or anyone who goes overseas. I mean, John Wesley had an apostolic call in his own country, in his own culture. Um, It's somebody sent to go into unreached territory, connect with people, share the gospel, make disciples, form them into churches, and then strengthen and reproduce those churches. So if you see multiplying disciples and churches, typically 
Somewhere in that mix is someone with an apostolic call and a team around them. Mm. They're not even doing all the work. Mm. They're the catalyst, the equipper. Often, you know, I, I, I know guys who have seen really thousands of, of uh, new believers, tens of thousands of new believers, thousands of churches. The vast majority of the people in those churches don't even know that guy's name. He's just there in the background, equipping, mobilizing, resourcing key workers in the field. Sure, he's, he's setting an example as a practitioner, but it's gone far beyond what he can achieve. Mm. And so this apostolic gift is something we've got to re-embrace as the church. You know, you don't have to give it that name. That's why I said movement pioneers, you know. But we need the function. You know, we, we have pastor teachers and we need that ministry in the local church to strengthen the local churches. But we also need to recognize that um, Jesus never settled down. Paul never settled down. Not even Peter settled down. They're catalysts. They're movement pioneers, movement catalysts. And, and sure, they function at times as, as in a pastoral way or in a teaching way. But they're continually going into that unreached territory, um, creating something from nothing. Mm. And we, we desperately need that gift and, and to embrace it because the risen Lord, this is Ephesians 4, he keeps giving the gift, you know, and that gift is given with other leadership gifts to equip the whole body of Christ that we would be um, movement pioneers. Mm. So I hear you distinguishing that Ephesians 4.12, it's really important that he gave the church some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And a lot of the leadership roles we see in ministries today are, are, are teacher-shepherd role. And so you're saying, hey, there's this apostolic gifting that God's given the church that's necessary to pioneer a movement, but... But then there's also room for the, the pastor-teacher to shepherd yeah. a fruit within a movement and what the Bible calls yeah. church. Oh, that's the, excellent. The, the key qualification I say to people, because, you know, we've been around a while, Troy. Maybe I've been around a bit longer than you. Um, but yes. but you, you learn pretty soon. Anyone who wants to, you know, pop out the business card or loves to be called, given a time, you know, I'm, I'm an apostle or I move in the apostolic, you know, I say to those guys, do you realize what you're putting your hand up for? You know, Paul says these guys are sort of last in line. They're the scum of the earth. They're persecuted. They suffer. They're misunderstood. I mean, all believers suffer. But but Jesus has set these guys aside, especially to follow in his example and uh, to be a servant, to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. So there's a big price tag attached to that ministry. So don't go flashing it on a business card or, you know, I, I don't go claiming titles for yourself. But look at the job description. Look at the character of a Paul and, and what he actually, that's why I wrote the second book, what Jesus started. You know, what did Paul do? Do those things. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, if the fruit of your service are, are disciples who are learning to follow and obey Jesus, mm. who are multiplying and, 
and churches that are doing the same and those churches are multiplying, then okay, you know, let others say, well, that's an apostolic ministry. Mm. So in reference to what you said earlier about churches, it sounds like God's beginning to open up the door for partnership, like in West Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. Churches and apostolic leaders, little a, apostolic leaders or missionaries or movement pioneers or, or catalyst is another word that we've heard used. They're partnering together to go after lostness. Yes, and, uh, yes. Seeing, and, uh, and here it's important, and I, I cover this in a chapter on structuring for movements, and it might get a bit technical, but um, you see... Um, two two patterns in the New Testament. One is, you know, whether it's Jesus or Peter or Paul, they'll have a tight apostolic band, a missionary band, mm-hmm. who are on the cutting edge of, of pioneering new fields, and, and they're highly mobile. Um, they're catalysts. And in their wake, there are new disciples and new churches. Mm-hmm. So there's this missionary structure that's going on. There's also, you know, the fruit of their work, they're not an end in themselves, those missionary bands. What they serve is the emergence of local churches. And then those local churches become partners with the apostolic bands in in pioneering into new territory. Mm. And then the apostolic band circles back to strengthen what has been started amongst those churches and help them both be faithful to the gospel in word and deed, and at the same time reach their area in depth. Mm. So it's important that the missionary bands don't lord it over the churches, mm. and it's important that the churches don't try and control them. Let it, let it be a, par, a mutual partnership, and that's why we need some apostolic structures. We need local church structures. Mm. Um, and And... So it's 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 not a hierarchy of value. It's it's a calling. You know, not everybody is called to go. You know, to go full time on the road with Jesus. Some Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they're in their local area, um, and uh, but some are. And so this is a this is a pattern we see throughout the New Testament, and then wherever the church has been. Uh, in its most dynamic form throughout church history, we're seeing this pattern of local churches, missionary bands in partnership. Wow. So we see, you know, we think those two different giftings, the, the pastor, teacher, and the, and the apostolic leader, we, we know there's a lot of training available for pastor teachers, you know, from mm-hmm. seminary education to even out of movements, we're seeing discovery-based training for pastors like the foundations material out of North India. Um, are you noticing any uh, uh, progression in development or different stages of development for apostolic leaders? Yeah, I think it's uh... – I, 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 yeah, I'm, that's that's a good question. I'm thinking. You got me thinking. Um, I mean, like we've got Paul who was called by God, and boom, he goes. Are we just noticing these guys raising up, or is there? Are we seeing development of apostolic leaders through training? And you you can't grow grow these people in the classroom. I don't even think you can grow a good teacher and pastor in the classroom. The classroom plays a key role, but 
but leaders are grown in the harvest, in the harvest field. That's, that's how you make leaders. And the classroom supplements and supports that. Apostolic leaders, I say, they've just got to go through the basics like everybody else. They've got to learn to read the Bible and follow and obey, to, to learn together with other believers, you know, that whole discovery process, obedience-orientated discipleship. And then they've got to spend the rest of their life reading and studying and engaged in God's Word to grapple with how do I fulfill my call. Um, and, and in that sense, um, they're going to learn as, as they do, as they reflect on what they're doing, and it's going to be head, heart, and hands. Now, this is true for any Christian leader. Um, I think uh, they are at some point where it's clear, okay, their role is this multiplication catalyst. Then they've got to go back into the Scriptures and keep mining them, uh, for insight and patterns and lessons. There's not a lot of good academic stuff out there because, you know, bless their hearts, academics don't think in terms of, of catalytic movements. Um, they think in terms of how can we serve a settled pastor teacher. But there are some, some, some great written resources, like anything written by Roland Allen, the, the Anglican missionary you know, about 100 years ago, wrote some excellent stuff. Uh, in more contemporary, and, and you, you know, it's, it's wonderful stuff, but you've got to work at it, is um, anything by uh, a German evangelical called Eckhard Schnabel. Um, and uh, so he's, he's written quite a few hefty volumes, but they're pure gold for an apostolic leader. I, I'd recommend they start with Paul the Missionary. Mm. So there are, um, you know, some, some, but you're going to have to hunt it out, come to movements.net and, and, and search around. Mm. Um, the other thing I'd say is, and this will move in a little bit in, into the stuff I cover in the last chapter, you know, what is it going to take to stop you? And that is um, Paul, Paul talks about, you know, every believer is going to face suffering, and he talks about that, counting the cost. But he sets apart those who have an apostolic call will especially, they're on the front, you know, the pointy end of God's mission in the world. They'll, they'll take the brunt of things. And we see that pattern. Um, we see that, um, you know, there's both a fierce spiritual battle and a deep refining work that God does in the lives of these leaders. And so there's a learning that takes place in the scriptures and as you read, you know, good biblically-based people on mission and mission practice, all of that. And then there's a learning that takes place because of the refining work of God and the spiritual battle. And... um, you know, you can prepare for it, and in another sense, nothing prepares you for it. Um, apostolic leaders, if they are true to their calling, will pay a price. There doesn't seem to be many exceptions of that. Um, so find yourself in the example of Jesus. Find yourself in the example of Paul. Or dig into the Old Testament. Look at, at how God shaped Joseph or, you know, some of, some of these people. 
um, and um, and expect you know expect a battle. Um, but uh, why would you want to do anything else? Well, what I hear you saying in there too, uh, as far as you know, these a lot of these guys you won't find them in a classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesus went out. He found a lot of those guys in the harvest. One one guy I write about, uh, Victor Landro, down in uh, in uh, in I think it's Colombia in South America. Um, you know, he's a former bar owner and uh, ran a brothel um, and um, wondrously saved. Um, God used him to spark a movement down there in South America. Um, so the one pattern is, uh, you know, that that remaking by the Holy Spirit, which sometimes is, like for Paul on Damascus Road, a very uh, painful experience, but worth having. Mm. Well, it sounds like you've really done a lot of homework on uh, on this book. How, how did you research this book, Steve? Well, I'm, I'm sort of a bit eclectic, um, and so... Uh, I've just spent a lot. I've just spent a long time <laughs> just searching the scriptures on these things, um, and and I think we want to have comfort. We don't have to woodenly follow uh, some of the cultural norms and the like. You know, we, we we can pull out a credit card and hop on a plane. That's fine. But there are key principles in the scriptures that we, you know, we've just got to mine them. And you think you've understood, and then a year or two later, all of a sudden, you realize because of the interface with what God's doing in the field. So it's the scriptures. But then, you know, I want to mine history, you know, case studies like Hudson Taylor or this obscure guy not many people have heard of, another Taylor, William Taylor, this apostolic Methodist bishop, um, this guy down in South America. So you look for, um, you know, case studies in history. Patrick of Ireland's another great one. John Wesley. And you see some of these biblical patterns and principles expressed in a fresh way in a different location, a different time. But then to really get you excited, you know, you hang out with current day practitioners who was seeing multiplication. And I, I think of, of Nathan Shank just up in uh, in South Asia and some of his key guys um, who are South Asians, um, you know, beyond anything that I've experienced personally. Mm-hmm. And there have been years in this. And, and you just, you know, I, I, I almost feel like, you know, Nathan Shank should be the co-author of this book because I've learned so much from what he's done and his guys have done. But also, this is really exciting thing, is, you know, a guy like Jeff Sundell, he's been a key source. And, you know, he's got experience in South Asia for a decade, but, but now he's got six or seven years' experience in North America and other parts of the Western world mm. where the early signs are good. They're there that we're beginning to see multiplication. You know, um, there's still a long way to go, but some of, uh, you know, we're seeing patterns of not just people coming to Christ and going into discipleship, but uh, disciples and churches uh, reproducing and beginning to multiply. And and this is a new thing in the Western world. Mm. So I spent a lot of time with Jeff, with Nathan, and then 
a whole host, you know, part of my role leading a mission agency, Aussie mission agency called Move, is, you know, we have our own practitioners who, who are seeing these same things happen. You know, some are, you know, it's step by step, like for me, Michelle, here in, in, in England. Um, others are seeing significant movements in, in, in places around the world. So patterns emerge, you know, from the scriptures, from history, from contemporary case studies. And then you've just got to, you know, condense it into some, you know, here are some principles, here are some practices, here are some lessons that are going to apply in all sorts of different settings if, if we'll learn from them. It's like in this, I started the journey uh, 25 years ago, and I've gone the full circle and come back to where I began. Mm-hmm. But, but I understand in a different way now. Mm-hmm. Now, I began in the book of Acts, went on this long journey, learning from sociology and business and organizational theory and church history and all of that. And you come back and you realize this is a work of God. And, yes, there are principles, you know, we can learn in the field and especially from the patterns in Scripture. But it's a work of God. He calls us into it as partners. This is a stunning thing. And somehow, you know, this treasure which is in earthen vessels, somehow he uses us to his glory, you know, so movements, they're not, it's not like you can press five buttons and they happen. It's, it's a, we're in a war. It's a battle. Uh, we, we're weak, and in our weaknesses we discover his strength. And it, if it sounds like there's a lot of paradox, it's because there is. But the universal thing is this is a work of God. Jesus rose from the dead. He is continuing to pursue his mission, and he invites us into it. Until he returns, we're in a battle. We see as through a glass dimly. It's hard. We have setbacks. We have, you know. But the one thing we know is that Jesus will triumph. He will have a people. You know, the giants will fall. And one of those giants, you know, for many of us is, is just the resistance we find in the Western world. It will, we will see breakthroughs. You know, the giant of the Western world of, you know, secular humanism, postmodernism, it will fall because God will have a harvest. Thanks for the interview, Troy. And if you'd like to get your own copy of Pioneering Movements, Leaders Who Multiply Disciples and Churches, then uh, get on the movements.net website and uh, follow the links. This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.